0: What's up Mets fans? Welcome back to episode number 92 of the Mets Up podcast presented by the 7 Line. Little little less happy about this one. We far, we lost our first series of the year. We lost our first series of the year to the Mariners. It was an excruciating series. It was annoying. Every game was what? Separated by like a run or two. One run every game. Just one run. Uh, It was really, really close. The Mariners are annoying, and I don't want to play them the rest of the year. I've had enough of the Seattle Mariners. This is a pesky, pesky ball club. And there was a lot that happened. I mean, game one was close. Game two was close. Game three was close. This series, unlike the last one against the Nationals, there's a lot to talk about here, so we're going to go deep into every single game of this series, tell you about everything that's happening, our thoughts, our analysis, everything that we can talk about, we will. So if you guys are enjoying what you hear, what you see, what you listen to, make sure you're following us on all our social media, at MetsUp. You'll be able to find us on Twitter and Instagram, Up Podcast, you can find us on YouTube for the video version of the podcast. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, you will be able to find us. Drop us a rating, drop us a review, it really does help us out. Out, and let's bring in James. Even though you had an earlier comment than you normally do, but hey,
1: welcome. Yeah, I guess I did, but glad to be here. Glad, glad, to, glad for you to include me in this in this early segment of the show.
0: Yeah, of course, it's nice to get you, uh, get you hot and ready, start talking about some Mets baseball. I know me and you were going back and forth on a lot of things the last yeah. few days, text wise. So you guys are going to hear, I think, maybe one of the first arguments on the <laughs> podcast where me and James have very, very differing opinions, but we'll, we'll save that for a little bit later. I mean, Are
1: we going to save it for later? Where do you
0: want to start? Well, I, I guess, you know what? You're right. We haven't done this in a while because the Mets really haven't had anything of contention, but I guess we'll just start off with Game 3, right? The last game since you guys are going to be listening to this on Monday morning. Let's talk about Sunday's day game going up against Robbie Ray, and we had Carlos Carrasco on the mound. Yeah, this was just kind of one of those uh,
1: games that I feel like uh, I feel like the, us Mets fans were kind of ready for for a little while. The, um, at least like the first... 90% of it until the end Cause this game was kind of like three games into one but I was I think we everyone's been a little bit collectively afraid that Carrasco another Carrasco bad game was coming I love Carrasco I talk about Carrasco a lot in this show but he's not an ace he's a three starter sometimes three stars get hit hard and the offense has also been kind of meh and you saw got like Robbie Ray in the mound who was really high upside and he's a lefty and the Mets have struggled a little bit lefties this year it just kind of felt like one of those
0: games that when you looked at it on the schedule you didn't get a good feeling about it yeah and going into the series, this is the one, too, that I remember you saying, like, eh, this is probably the one where we like just don't really match up well against the Mariners here. And it wasn't that Carrasco necessarily pitched bad either, I don't think. He just kind of wasn't as sharp as we've seen him this year. And, like, if he was our four or five starter right now, or if we didn't need length out of him because, of course, Tyler McGill hitting the IL means that tomorrow's going to be a bullpen game, I think we would have been a little bit more okay with it. But because there was, like, almost more pressure on Carrasco to pitch better this game and pitch deeper into the game like he has been, it was a little disappointing that he just kind of wasn't that sharp. For sure. It also
1: made it worse because... Something we've said in the last episode. It also kind of compounded the problem because this is something I mentioned about even that McGill start from Washington where the Mets did jump out to an early lead after a very big game on Saturday with a very loud Francisco Lindor home run to the second deck in left field, which happens very rarely in city field. Crushed that ball. Made it six of seven Mets games where they scored the run in the first inning. And it was after Carrasco had a clean first inning, which is kind of hilarious. Now he just like has super clean first innings, and then the problems come later on, rather than the whole opposite of what was going on last year with him. But you hate jumping out to a lead early like that and letting a team just like, get back and back and back and back on you. That's what the Mariners did all day on Sunday.
0: Yeah, uh, they were just—they're annoying. They're super, super annoying because it felt like all series they were kind of like blooping a little bit and not really like having like the craziest hard-hit balls. This game, I think they had something like, what, like 16 or 18 hits, I think, in Game 3, which is absolutely insane. Eight of those came against Carlos Carrasco. And a lot of the the hits were hit pretty hard. I mean, I know he didn't necessarily give up the absolute nuke to Julio Rodriguez that we saw later in the game, but the Mariners... And Cal Raleigh. Yeah, and Cal Raleigh, too. I forgot about his. Oh, Cal Raleigh, Jesus. That's horrible. Uh, (laughs) Whatever. I mean, like, it wasn't his fault why we lost this game by any means. He didn't help the Mets try and win. But he wasn't the reason for the Mets to lose, I don't think.
1: No, but again, like you said, he really wasn't that sharp. And this is kind of like the modern Carrasco where he's going to kind of teeter this line between like pitching eight innings and giving up no runs and like five strikeouts or pitching four innings, giving up five runs and like four strikeouts. Like those are not, it's going to sound kind of insane, but just based on that the Mariners didn't even have that many hard hit balls today and it was just kind of, like a, the succession of hits rather than like getting into it out of trouble. Those two types of starts aren't really that different for Carrasco. And you kind of can see that in the way that his pitch mix has developed this year, that he is someone who is walking a line. I made a botch in the last episode talking about Carrasco's pitch mix from his last two starts. I said they were both fastball changeup, but Nick Pollock, we are hanging out with him yesterday from Pitcher List. He actually and Friday. He told me this Friday. We hung out with him two days in a row, which is
0: It's <laughs> a, <laughs> a lot of Nick
1: Pollock. It's a lot of Nick. It's a lot of Nick. But two starts ago, the Atlanta start was all fastball slider. Last week, the Washington start was all fastball changeup. This start again was very heavy fastball changeup. A little less of a two pitch mix than those last two starts. Those were both about eighty percent between two pitches. This one was only sixty eight percent between those two, and he still mixed in his sinker, slider, and curveball. But he just very clearly still doesn't have a feel for that slider since that start two times ago. And he got a couple whiffs with the curveball, but he didn't throw it very consistently. And the sinker just—it's—I don't—I don't, I don't know—I don't really know. Krausco breaks out a sinker sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't. I don't really understand it that well, but. It's just it seems like he's not really getting enough of a feel for those breaking balls right now to be able to throw all of his pitches and pitch to his fullest potential.
0: I mean, me and you, I think from the beginning of the year, from since we got Carlos Carrasco, knew this guy wasn't going to be an ace. He was never brought here no. to be an ace. He, on the outside looking in from a very like basic level of looking at the stats, you probably thought Carrasco was like, oh, this guy's looking pretty good. Like yeah. this is our three starter, huh? This is our guy or our four starter. Man, he might he might be an ace on some teams. I'm sure people will throw around that that saying, but. We knew he's not an ace. We've been trying to tell everyone that he's not like that. We still very much think he's a very good pitcher. But like you said, these starts are going to happen for a guy like Carlos Carrasco,
1: especially against a team like the Mariners. I'm not going to say like a very good hitting team, but they're a team of professional hitters. Like down the order, it's not you're not really scared of anybody. But there's also not really that many soft spots. So you get like the bottom of the order, like Steven Souza and Cal Raleigh. Usually that's a soft spot, but again, Cal Raleigh hit a hit a ridiculous home run today. But it's just they were kind of in the mix every single at-bat, and when you're only mixing basically fastballs and change-ups, it's going to be kind of hard to fool these major league caliber hitters consistently. Like, you can get away with that at the Nationals, of course. There's three major league hitters in that lineup. Three and a half. I guess with Cesar Hernandez declining, but not against this Mariners team, and not really against many of the other teams. We're gonna, this is going to be a work in progress with Carrasco, and with Tyler McGill's injury, if it winds up being something that keeps him out for even three or four weeks, he's going to be a much more important part of this rotation.
0: Yeah, Tyler McGill, just in case, again, you guys didn't know, he's on the IL right bicep inflammation. His mom, Mom McGill, came out and said he's going to be fine. Everything's going to yes. be okay. So I, I trust the mother of the pitcher. I'm sure she knows exactly what's going on. We trust Julie McGill. Mom McGill,
1: yeah. It was so funny that she tweeted that out today. Like People were just tweeting about Tyler McGill a lot because it was scary also because the Mets said he was on the IEL and deleted the tweet and then said it again like four minutes later so I was like ah oh, shit what's what's going on here this is not that cool so there was a lot of just buzz on social media before the game also that nice half hour before the Sunday games and like really I kind of like the 140 start you kind of ease into Sunday rather than the quick one o'clock it's a yeah. little it's a little nice of a buffer especially after the late game yesterday but It's just funny having a mom of a player, a baseball player, addressing an injury on social media
0: before the MRI. Yeah, very vital part of the Mets community on on Twitter right now. She's very vocal, and we love it. Now, we did mention Carrasco gave up those four runs. The Mets did, after going up early, go down early. And something that this team's done really well all year long is they do answer back. And right after Carrasco did give up those runs, we had a nice rally where Nimmo... J.D. Davis both hit two run triples in the same inning, which Gary on the broadcast said is the first time in Mets history they've had two two two-run triples in the same inning. Wow, that's pretty good. This is a big triple day for the Mets. I think three triples today. Big triple series. Marte had a triple in game two. Like, there was just triples going all around. It was nice to see J.D. get that hit. He was pumped. He was super excited. I know you were listening to the game on the radio, James. You know, but they said that he was really pumped
1: up. They also said Nimmo, like, showed as much emotion as he's basically ever showed after a hit.
0: Nimmo gave, like, ah, and, like, almost forgot that he was on base and that the ball was in play. And Joey Corr was like, get back on the bag, dude. Like, you can't just hang around off there.
1: Well, Canada did that after his stolen base in the fifth, fourth inning. Well, he just he made it easily, I think, in a hit and run that was kind of botched, but he also overslid the base and got, got tagged out.
0: Yeah, uh, it was it was good. It was good. I like seeing J.D. Davis swing the bat more.
1: I also misspoke. Metson hit three triples today. So those were the only two triples. I think Abraham no. Toro hit a third triple. Eduardo Escobar
0: hit a triple too. I forgot about the Esquire triple. So, four triples in this game, three by the Mets. Yeah, three by the Mets. Wow. At least, I don't need... The Mariners could have had another one. I honestly don't remember. I don't think they did. I think it was just four definitely did, for yeah. sure. But, I just... I, I'm happy to see J.D. swinging the bat better. I know today, again, like, it wasn't the outcomes that you always want. But even, you know, the last few games, he's just been hitting the ball really, really hard. And I think the answer... Or the question has been answered. He just... He has to be in the line swinging the bat more. Definitely makes the lineup better. And especially with how we saw Dom Smith play this series and his limited appearances. JD's got to be the answer at DH. He just he just offers so much more at the plate. JD had two more hard hit balls on Sunday. I
1: think he had four, at least three on Saturday night. And it's just it's very clear that he is making he's making the most productive contact in this team consistently. It is kind of ironic that the triple he did hit today was kind of one of the softer balls he's put in play. It feels like in a while, and Howie and Wayne, as they like to like poke fun at exit velocity, were like, "Oh, hey, maybe should start. Maybe he should start hitting the balls more softly." And I was like, "Maybe not," but you know, the premise is there. It's just he's very clearly one of the better bats, at least from a power perspective, on this team right now, and I think it would benefit the Mets a lot to get his bat in the lineup at least four days a week at this point if not five
0: definitely especially with escobar struggling who's not really deserving more at bats right now i mean on the month of may he's hitting i think like 120 with like a 367 or 387 ops small sample again it's like the numbers don't technically like stabilize but no you can just tell by watching him play something's off something's broken right now he's not probably as good of a player as we once saw Like, early in the year, where we're like, ooh, Eddie Escobar like, this guy's a beast. He's also not as bad as this, but he does need to snap out of it right now. And it's just, he's been a little bit of a hole in this lineup, although he did get that late triple. Anyway, moving past this rally of an inning, we had Chazen Shreve come in, who came in for Carrasco. Got a tough out, and then they left him in. Two tough outs. Yeah, you got Jesse Winker, which was, he was throwing a lot of sliders, too. They were talking about that. They're like, that's like three sliders in a row. He never does that. Got the big out after Winker hit the home run against him in game two, which we'll talk about. But he came out. For the sixth inning, to
1: mm-hmm. face
0: J-Rod, who is just mm-hmm. known to crush left-handed pitching.
1: And J-Rod, just watching him from this series, like it's very clear that he's immensely talented. And I was pretty happy to be able to get an up-close look at him for a few days. But it was also very clear that he is struggling. And I don't know if this is something that he could be borne out by stats over the whole season here. But it seems like the veteran pitchers were really able to take advantage of him while he kind of preyed on the relievers.
0: You want to know why that makes sense, though, too, is because... I mean, right now, like Julio, he's playing really well. So he's actually like starting to look like a major league player performance wise, at least for the Mariners. Yeah. But you got to think a lot of those relievers are basically four a players a lot of the times. Yeah. And for a guy like Julio, who dominates at every single level, except the major league level right now, that's probably why he's having more success against those guys. For sure. But even in a game where Carrasco
1: didn't have it, you saw him kind of just keep J-Rod very off balance a couple of times. I saw Scherzer just kind of dice him up on Friday night, which we'll talk about again later. But just to also refresh listeners, the three batter rule applies when you're facing three batters in a single inning. The second that a pitcher completes an inning, it doesn't matter if they faced one batter or two batters, or technically it's like zero batters, if there was like, say, a pickoff or a cost stealing or something like that. Once an inning ends, a three batter rule becomes completely null, and you no longer have to face a third batter if you leave the game. If you have faced one batter or technically, against zero batters, actually, I don't even know what the ruling is, if it's, like, it's a pickoff or a cost ceiling. Was that like a zeroth batter, or does that count as one batter?
0: Uh, I actually don't, I don't, know. I don't know either statistically, but you can come out of the game
1: still. True, but then if you do come back in, like let's say you face one batter, got a strikeout to end the inning, which Shreve got two outs to end the fifth inning. Let's say he only got one. Let's say he only got the winker out, and then the inning was over. He w- and if he did come out, he would have to face two more batters. But again, if you just get a third out in an inning, the three batter rule does not apply to you. So there's no reason that a lefty who was coming off his first rough performance of the year in Chase and Shreve needed to go through an up-down and face a, a righty, who crushes lefties. And there were a lot of people on Twitter, I tweeted about this, saying that, like, you know, Buck is just looking ahead. We have a bullpen day tomorrow, again, with Trevor Williams and Tyler McGillandry, like we've said a few times. But you got to focus on the game that you're playing, yep. especially a game that is very close, late in the innings. Like, I would understand that if the Mets were already down three, to maybe be like, I can, like, think about punting this game and leave Shreven, see if you get lucky. But that was not the case here. I believe the game was tied.
0: Yeah, no, I, uh, by no means am I going to... Make a direct comparison of like the Zach Britton thing that went on in in Baltimore, but we are seeing right now that Buck definitely has trouble handling a bullpen right now. We've said this many, many times now throughout the season, despite the Mets being what 23 and 13 at the time of recording. There have been a lot of questions with how the bullpen has been handled, and one of the major things is these up downs and trying to get guys to get more outs than they're really capable of or should be trying to do. Not that Shreve isn't capable
1: of that. He has gone multiple innings at times this year. But it's just the idea that there is a scary right-handed hitter staring you in the face. And it's not like... And the Mets are, again, they're just short in pitching with no starting pitcher really ready for tomorrow, besides or today, besides Trevor Williams. But there's still a lot of bodies in this bullpen. Like, you still have... You saw Colin Holderman. You still have Donis Medina. Jake Reed just came out. He has options. Like, you could throw guys out there tomorrow... Worst comes to worst, just yeah. ride.
0: Medina's not up, I don't think, right now. I think Jake, Oh, wait, wait, he went back down? I th- yeah, I think Jake Reed has the spot of Medina. But this is what's a little bit frustrating, too, is that if Jake, like, I'm not vouching for Jake Reed over Chase and Shreve, but I think the I, the idea is the same, is that if we're going to use that last spot in the bullpen for Jake Reed, he has to be used at some point. What, what are we saving him for? For when we're getting, like, shelled in a game, which, I mean, he could be saved for tomorrow, because, again, the Trevor Williams game. But I, I hate when you kind of look ahead, and try to think about the next game instead of focusing on this one. And that's what it felt like. It also kills us. It kills this bullpen that Seth Lugo cannot go two days in a row. Kills this Mets bullpen. Because if you pitch him today for a second day in a row, for sure he's not pitching tomorrow. And he might need to pitch tomorrow. Again, with everything that's going on, it's just it's really frustrating because it seemed like Buck was like, well, if I can get Chazen through the sixth, I have Drew for the seventh. I have Joe for the 8th when he's going to have to face Winker and those guys. And then I have Diaz for the ninth. And it seemed like he was trying his hardest to stick to that plan as much as physically possible. And it bit us in the ass because, again... Chasen Shreve should not be facing Julio Rodriguez, and it, it was to get what, like, Mike Ford was next? Like, are we really saying we prioritize Mike Ford at the plate more than Julio Rodriguez, who he knows is a better baseball player?
1: Yeah, especially also when the lefty-righty thing with Julio is seems to be a big deal. No stats again, we'll bear that out right now, but it's just, it's very clear watching him play baseball, he's much more comfortable against, like, a soft-throwing lefty who's not exactly Wiley. Yeah. Maybe Chasen Shreve is Wiley, but just not... You know, not the most experienced. And it's just you're just trying to thread the needle. I mean you can't try to thread the needle too much. You just like there's not a lot of margin for error there. And that did bite the Mets in the ass. Of course, it got significantly worse after this, and this game did feel like it immediately got out of reach because I got Drew Chains. Another not-so-great outing for him, which pains me so much to say. Gave up, like we said before, a loud, 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 loud home run to Cal Raleigh. Just an absolutely smashed baseball.
0: Cal Raleigh, who has, like, he was, what, two or three for 31, I think, on the year. Not known for his bat. I don't really know what Cal Raleigh is known for. Uh, Now he's known for this. He was known for his bat. Like, he had a good bat in the minor leagues. He was drafted as a bat. Okay. He just hasn't come through with Major League level yet. Yeah, and now you know all about this home run that he absolutely crushed. Mariners just had Drew Cain's number again. We'll talk about it when we go over the earlier games. But Drew finally looked human this series, uh, and this was just added on top of it. And then the Mets, Mets bats were pretty much dead. Like once that kind of happened, I don't want to say like they laid down because like the, the Mariners bullpen's actually pretty good, but they weren't having good quality at bats. It like they had some chances here and there to make something happen and couldn't come through, which we've seen time and time again with this Mets lineup. It'll happen, but I really think if we're going to talk about you know, at what happened after this? We got to jump right to Paul Seawald. Yeah, I'm down. I, you're a Paul Seawald guy. You like him. I think he's a good pitcher. I've always thought he was a good pitcher. You can't say you always thought he was a good oh, pitcher. Oh, I mean, like, since he's been good now his last year and a
1: half. With the Mets, I thought he had, like, secret potential that was never going to be born out. Like, I always just thought he had a good slider.
0: That's fair. Okay. Okay.
1: As long as we clarify that. I I I didn't didn't always think he was a good pitcher. He was a Met. He
0: was not a good pitcher. But I always thought he had a chance to be a good pitcher. He was horrible with the Mets. That guy stunk. He was terrible. He was terrible. 5'5 ERA 1.36 whip for his career. He was horrible. He's been really good, as you said, the last few years, including this one. He's been pretty lights out. I think we can all agree to
1: that. Since he came back to the Mariners last year, he has been one of the better relievers in baseball. He's at least like a top 25 percent reliever in baseball, if not a little bit better than that. Between stuff, between strikeouts between swings and misses, he's top of the line in all of those things. Paul Seawold is a bona fide good reliever. The other side of this is that he seems to um have taken the way that Mets fans treated him personally over the last I wanna I guess this is something that going way back to when he was a Mets just because I remember distinctly that Paul Seawald used to be booed very often. I'm assuming that with booing from New York sports fans, any sports fans, that Paul Seawald dealt with uh, probably a barrage of hate on social media, between things we tweet at him, things in his DMs. So it seems like this something that kind of motivated him a little bit extra for the series against the Mets. Something that got swept under the rug with the Jared Kellnick demotion before Friday's game, and Edward Diaz facing his former team, was Paul Seewald also facing his former team. And he had a lot of things to say about Mets fans during the series. And after a clean inning on Friday, and then after another clean inning on Sunday, he asked the Mets fans, like Hulk Hogan, I can't hear you. And that seemed to rub a lot of Mets fans, including you, the very much the wrong way.
0: So... Yeah, his comments I made after Friday night's appearance was they gave up on me and they meaning the Mets. It's pretty nice to get a little revenge today. Most importantly, we got to win. I think that's fine, but also that's not, not untrue. But also that they gave up on me. It's not like you can blame them. True, it's not like you can blame them. But he was bad. From, Nobody wanted but, this guy.
1: Think about the, well, someone did want him because someone did pick him up. So clearly, someone. wanted But that was him.
0: also in the weird point of where the Mariners were like, we'll just we'll try anybody who's been playing for the New York Mets. I don't I don't want to say the Mariners wanted him I it bothered me that okay so let me finish on what he said he said it was 18 months coming they got rid of me I was hoping I could get up here and pitch against them it's pretty nice to do well and help our team get the win that, those comments I don't have problem with those comments and like in all honesty, he can do whatever he wants. This and that. I just think he's a lame-o. I think he's a hardo. I think he's a rat fuck. Now he's in that he's in that grouping for me. I, he's I, not there for me. I see. Yeah, but you're a Seawold sympathizer. You love this guy because he's good now. No, but the thing is that like a comment like Paul Seawold makes, like they gave up on me. It's not
1: untrue at all. Like the mess did give up on him. Whether you yeah, think it's warranted or no, not. No, but the, sure, com- but
0: like- the comments. The, the comment he made doesn't bother me. It's more of the actions of like. Dude, you first off, you were so horrible. You were so bad. You deserved to get booed. You deserved to get given up on. 100%. You shouldn't have been on a major league roster. And then to go out and do this thing, like after he does, he pitched well. He pitched well in the series. He shoved it to us. 1,000%. Won't deny it. Salty Mets fan? Probably. Probably because he fucking beat us. But I don't care. This guy's a rat. He did this. He's so (laughs) relevant. No one fucking cared. No one booed him when he did this on the field. Jesse Winker, at least, gets booed and plays it up and has a little fun and is, like, a really, really good hitter. I know he's struggling this year. But Jesse Winker at least has some fun with it and plays the villain well. Paul Seewald, you're irrelevant. You're irrelevant. Like, ah, for Paul Seewald to do this and think he matters, granted – he got me talking about it, so maybe he does. Yeah, yeah. You're, like, literally going against all of your point by just having this diatribe. But, like, oh, my God, what a fucking loser. The whole, like, ah, he, stu- he no. sucked so bad. He sucks so True. bad. So to be like, are you going to boo me now? Well, if you pitched like this, we would have never fucking booed you. But you stunk, so we did because you were terrible. That's what bothers me is that if you pitched like this, no, we wouldn't have booed you. But you didn't because you were shit. But
1: this is like what kind of comes from being a competitor and being a professional athlete. And a guy who was probably sick his entire life until the day he put on a Mets jersey <laughs> and then was only bad then and then now has been good again the second he took it off. Like that's kind of crazy for him to think about. Like I would in my head be like, this team, this team kind of fucked me. There's, these are the people who failed me. And also, that's why I want to keep harping on this phrase, like, they gave up on me, they gave up on me. Like he has to believe that. Like if you're an athlete, if there's any like five percent extra motivation you can get, anything to give yourself an edge, you should take it. Because you're competing against the best people in the world. At what, you're, at what you're doing. So for him to like kind of harp on this and play it up, sure he's doing it in a little bit of a douchey way and sure that he it's kind of a little lame that you're like chastising fans of another team after the way they've treated you. Even though I think Mets fans can remember a situation last year where this came up and was also kind of interesting like this. Not the same. Not the same. I think same. they're a little bit similar. I think it's a little bit similar. I just, I, can, I see a guy like Paul Sewell just like taking deep for motivation. Like if this happened to a different team like it would be a total non-story if a middle reliever was but that's I think that's the whole point though is that yeah, it's because you know you can go Mets fans because Mets fans will take anything that anybody ever gives them Mets fans are dying for a reason to jump on top of the soapbox see how much they hate somebody uh, me and you included of course <laughs> but I don't think that Paul Seawold those comments make him a rat fuck for me he's never like I don't know he's just this is the comments all, he plays, plays Neil West it's the whole this Lord knows next time we're gonna face Paul Seawold in the game like, the Fucks are reserved for guys who we face regularly and do bad things to us. Paul Sewell
0: just beat us. He was just better this series than the Mets hitters. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think it's a little bit of both. I'm saying he's irrelevant and then talking about him. But then you're also saying he's irrelevant and caring about what everyone else has to say about him. So it's like, I think there's give and take on both sides. I don't think he's
1: caring what other people have to say. I think he cared what people had to say. And now he's just, like he said, he honestly admitted he's like, I'm happy to get a little bit of revenge. Like, they're... Paul Seawold probably got minimum 1,000 people in his DMs during his tenure with the Mets saying, like, I hope you die, F you, F your family, F your wife, F your mother, F your kids. Like, people probably said horrible, disgusting yeah, oh, things to sure. Paul Seawold every not cool. single day for years. So if I saw that, like, even though that's probably not the way, maybe it's not the way I am usually, because Paul Seawold actually does seem to be kind of a, a cool, nice guy. Like, his, his social media presence is cool. He does, some, he does, like, cool work with people on Twitter and stuff. I just, it just seems like a guy who's digging deep and also a guy who did probably deal with actual verbal abuse for years like in his in his dm yeah i
0: don't know i I, it's just he fucking rubbed me the wrong way i'm like you fucking (laughs) suck so bad and then to see you pitch well and then to have confidence paul seawald had it musk has had zero confidence when he pitched for the mets if he even had a half of the confidence that he has right now he probably would have maybe not had a 5-5 era and gotten shelled every time he went out there but it's like it's frustrating to see him pitch well because he was so fucking bad. And then to be confident and then to do this thing and not even get booed. <laughs> he didn't even get what he wanted, I don't feel like. You got like, booed a little bit on Friday. We were both there. You got booed a little bit.
1: There were yeah. some boos.
0: I, there were some definitely boos. Yeah, fucking Paul Seawald. God damn it. I, <laughs> I, Dude, and you know what? I was so excited when they were coming back too because I was like, I'm fuck Paul Seawald. I'm tweeting out every time he gives up a nuke this year. I don't give a shit. I'm officially riding the Paul C- Seawald hate wagon. I don't care what it is. <laughs>
1: It's also because we we had a bet going from the preseason that I'm going to share right now. That I'm going to win against you because it's a Paul Seabald bet. Mark and yeah, I bet you would have Seabald. a higher strikeout rate between Giovanni Gagos and Paul Seawald. And Paul Seawald's out to an incredibly large early league. <laughs> and so. the Mets
0: fucking helped him,
1: too. God damn yeah, it. exactly. Helped him a lot. He just, he's just a pretty good reliever. <sighs> like, and, and again, I am sympathizing with Paul Seawald, but it's also because there's nothing I like more in the world than pretty good relievers. That's my favorite thing you in do. baseball. Yeah, you do love a pretty good I love good pretty league. good relievers. It's a, it's a hated class.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of like the tale of two stories now, too, because you have Jesse Winker, who we know is like the, the Mets villain right now. And you have Paul Seawald, who seems to maybe be a new Mets villain in Mets world. Although, again, I'm sure after... Tomorrow morning, everyone's going to forget about Paul Seawald, but not me. I'm still going to tweet out when he gives up nukes. Paul Seawald is now suddenly a
1: bigger Mets villain based on the sample size from the Mets Up podcast. We tweeted out two polls before we started recording here, and we're an hour into them. We asked Mets fans if they like, don't care, don't like, or hate Jesse Winker and Paul Seawald, uh, and significantly more Mets fans hate Paul Seawald, significantly, only 5% of Mets fans in our poll, which again, only got about 350 votes. So it's not like an indicative sample. It's a pretty good sample, actually. But... It's not that bad. It's not that bad at all. But only 5% of Mets fans hate Jesse Winker. If you asked this poll on Friday, it would have been like 90%. Yeah. People hated Jesse Winker. And all of a sudden, like, now that he, like, people realize he was tongue in cheek for the last three years, now they like him. Like, all right, he was this the whole way. But it's just kind of funny how Mets fans love to get emotional.
0: And we're embodying it right now. No, it's actually pretty funny that. of Mets fans basically say they don't like Jesse Winker for Paul Sewald, It's, 50 percent 50 percent of Mets exactly. fans do not like Paul Seawald. 32 percent don't care which that's not liking to me that means you don't like the guy basically and then 17 percent still like him which that could you know just be a little bit of people who honestly don't care but it is funny that Winker gets the 65 percent I like this guy and like you said all it took was one comment of him being like literally I-, I love playing here I enjoy playing with this team when's Jesse Winker a free agent by the way uh this is his fourth year in the league so I think after two more seasons Jesse Winker just doing a little bit of you know a little bit of homework getting ready preparing for when he hits the free agent market okay 2024 yeah he can be a decent left-handed bat that the Mets could get in a couple years,
1: Buffalo guy. Especially by that time, you could really uh, undercut Winker because he's going to be a corner outfielder who plays no defense and can't move. You're basically able to get him for like
0: two years, 25000000 uh, million. He'll be, and then... he'll be so cheap. He'll be sick. It'll be awesome yeah, for the great. Mets in a couple years. Can't wait to
1: underpay Jesse Winker. That's how we get him back for all this shit. Of course, of course. But
0: yeah, it is, it is interesting how the discourse has changed. I'm the same way. I like Jesse Winker even when he did this goodbye thing. I was like, damn. That's like evil. That's evil. That's so good. Like, he plays like a heel. Where Paul Seawald, to me, is a whiny little bitch. And fuck Paul Seawald. I'm not going to say fuck Paul it's just I think he's just a guy
1: having some fun, honestly. He probably doesn't like Mets fans, but he also probably has a reason not to like them. We got to just finish this game because we've been talking a half
0: hour about <laughs> nonsense. This was, the, this was the big, big game, though, to be fair. Yeah, Let's it was. be honest. This is the one that everyone wanted to talk about. The Mets did attempt to come back. They were very, very well. Very good attempt. We talked about Escobar having the triple, Jeff McNeil single, Mazika single, because Patrick is the boy. Can I mention that that Eduardo Escobar triple to start the rally in the ninth was
1: after 14 consecutive Mets had been retired? It's almost five full innings of Mets being retired in a row by the Mariners' bullpen. And the end of Robbie Ray's start, which that's good, but it's not like... It's not great. No. And they just got they just got sat down repeatedly for almost literally five full innings, 14 consecutive Mets.
0: Ayo, and Robbie Ray was on the ropes for a lot of that, too. But like we said, Edward yeah. Escobar triple, McNeil single, Mazika single, Nimmo slapped a double down the left field line. Uh, it doesn't matter how. Exit Velos. Exit Velos. What's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you analytics nerds. Check this one out. A triple and a double by JD and Nemo. And all of a sudden, Drew second rider's coming out of the game, and we get to see Diego Castillo, who's been just so horrendously bad this year. He's getting giving up a ton of hits, giving up a ton of walks, and Starring Marte comes to the plate and has just one of the worst at bats I've seen Starring Marte ever have. He took a hanger down the middle. He took a hanger down the middle on a slider, which ah, I get I guess you're taking a strike. I don't like that. I think you should probably jump on Diego Castillo whenever you can, especially when he's given up tanks like he has been this year. And then he swings at two sliders that were basically not strikes. Goes down on three pitches. They brought the infield in too with one yeah. out in second and third, which that's that's incorrect managing. That's wrong. It's ballsy. It's a team
1: that really is trying to get a win. That's probably why the Mariners have, have swung and actually lost a lot of these one-run games this year after winning a lot of them last year because it's kind of just the luck of the bounce. But I was very disappointed that Starling Marte at bat. And even though he has been hot, he is very good. He's hitting three thirty three in May with a five thirty seven slug, which, again, not really a sample, so those stats don't mean very much. But what they should tell you is that he's swinging the bat significantly better than he did in April. But even with that, I still harp on the fact that I don't—I've said almost every episode of the show this season. I just don't think he's the, the 2 hitter for this team. Like, I think this lineup should go Nimmo, Lindor, Alonso, and then you figure out the rest. I don't care, basically, the order the rest of the guys are in. That's how it should start, and I'm sticking to that.
0: Yeah, I think— it's probably harder to convince people on that now, especially like he, he is playing really well in May. I think there's like no sure. no doubt about it. Sure. But the weird thing
1: that he as he's playing really well and this again, small two week sample, he's still not even getting on base at 350. Well,
0: that's what I was about to say. The weird thing, though, is that he doesn't walk. He does not get on base. I think he has two walks in the month of May, maybe one. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was hit by a pitch on one of those, which yeah. <laughs> is kind of funny to say. But he is hitting for extra base hits. Granted, it's the yes. Starling Marte way, which is a lot of like gap shots are down the line. But it Sounds
1: like, you know what it sounds like? Sounds like a great cleanup hitter. I would like Starling Marte in the fourth spot here. I want to get where of the premonitions that your cleanup hitter has to be the biggest, strongest, fast guy on the team, like Pete Alonzo. <laughs> and I want to just be the fourth best hitter. Because so Starling Marte definitely might be that. But we're also seeing Starling Marte just not even attempt steals anymore because. I wouldn't want him attempting steals where Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso up. He will be more valuable as a base stealer if he moves lower in the order, and he's stealing bases with guys like J.D. Davis, Eduardo Escobar, Marcana, and Jeff McNeil at the plate. I think that is where
0: Saga can get the most value. A good point, but bad at bat, they then intentionally walk Francisco Lindor to load the bases, which, I mean, ended up working out, but that's another crazy decision. I know it's like, get the out at any base, but... That's nuts, because with a guy like Deo Castillo, who's wild and doesn't necessarily throw strikes all the time, you're really putting the pressure on your pitcher for no reason, especially when you add an open base. Yeah, I think they were just scared of the lefty-righty thing yeah. with
1: Lindor, because the switch hitter. And also, just if you look at like probably a single at-bat projection situation like that, even though Lindor hasn't been good for the last two weeks, I'm sure he's at, like, at least as likely as Alonso to get a hit, and then you just get the advantage with the righty-righty with Alonso. It just was crazy, especially because Diego Castillo is erratic, and he truthfully, should have walked Pete Alonso if he didn't swing at a
0: very, very bad 3-1 slider. He threw two strikes his entire appearance, and they were two get-me-over hanging sliders that were first-pitch strikes or first strikes for each of the batters. Otherwise, every other ball was not even relatively close. I think it was a 2-1 pitch to Pete, actually, yeah, that okay. he swung I remember at. It was the second. it was the second strike. Yeah, it was a 2-1 pitch. It wasn't a strike. I mean, his ball moves a lot. It's a lot easier said from our perspective of, like, you shouldn't be swinging at that. Oh,
1: I didn't say he shouldn't have swing. I just said it was sad he did swing. Yeah, Like, Diego Castillo is a disgusting pitcher. Like, his slider is frightening, and his fastball is, as as the kids like to say, heavy. It's a very heavy fastball. He has a frightening arsenal. It was just upsetting to see a guy like Pete who had been swinging the ball really, really, really well swinging the bat really, really, really well to knock him through there. Cause the way this mess season has gone all year, the way Saturday night went, the way just all these games have gone late innings, the way this whole inning went, it just kinda felt like they were gonna do it again. And it's we're almost like spoiled now as Mess fans for it not to have happened and be and be disappointed. Would have been better to just
0: lose that game eight five. <laughs> so much yeah, better. Like, no, that rally just it, it made me more upset. <laughs> yeah, it made me it made me hate Paul Seawald that much fucking more. <laughs> God damn it, Paul Seawald.
1: Oh man. Alright, let's jump let's jump back
0: ahead now. Yeah, let's jump back to game one. Game one it's just frustrating. Super boring, yeah. super like, oh, uh, we, we were there, yeah, we were there. Uh, we can't hit Marco Gonzalez. Ah, uh, like, yeah. uh, he's a soft contact. Well, I called him soft contact, tank king. What did you call him? A soft contact artisan, yes, he's not
1: a king, he's not the merchant, he's in between them. Yeah, he's he makes fancy soft contact, he does some soft contact well, but it's not consistent, it's not all the time. But when he is, does he do, Marco Gonzalez? you kind of look at his game log for his career, it's hilarious. Because basically once a month, he'll have a start like this, where he goes like seven or eight innings and gives up nothing. And he'll go three and give up six. And he'll just be like quality starts like six and three every other time. Like he is a hilarious pitcher. A very stable, steady veteran who like had some prospect appeal. I realized this after he even recorded last week. He was traded one for one for Tyler O'Neal about four years ago. Yeah, that's crazy trade. And Tyler O'Neal was a prospect with pedigree. So it kind of goes to show the way that Gonzalez at least was regarded back then and just the role that he fills because he's really annoying he stays around the strike zone and this, he just pitches well sometimes this also was really frustrating because this was like the fourth game this week including games that happened after the fact so I'm going to count it where the Mets got off to a hot start in the first inning and the bats just completely fell apart yeah. just nothing nothing happened after, after that Nimble had an infield hit to lead off the game Sargumate scorched a double down the line and then we only scored one run with second and third and nobody out like that just can't happen Eduardo Escobar had a really rough strikeout, Mark Canna just couldn't come through with two outs, which I'm not blaming Marcana for that, but the Escobar strikeout was like quick work. It was like three pitches. Like, someone walked in front of me in the section, and I missed almost every <laughs> single pitch of the at-bat, and he was already going back to Doug. I was like, what the hell happened?
0: Yeah, I mean, early in the series, you saw Escobar was hitting higher in the lineup. Obviously, now, he's probably got to hit eighth every game, right Right in front of the catcher spot if he's going to be in the lineup, just because he's really not offering anything at the plate right now. This game in particular, he killed us. It felt like he had at-bat after at-bat where he could have came through, and he just couldn't for us, and it sucks. Because Max Scherzer was really good again, because Max Scherzer is a really good pitcher. Really good.
1: And it, we talk about this all the time. But like, Max Scherzer's floor is like six or seven innings with almost a strikeout per inning and like less than three runs. And he did that again. Seven, six strikeouts, three hits, two walks, one earned. A couple rallies he worked out of late in this outing. Really started out the game smoothly. Just stupid Jesse Winker got that freaking two out hit against him that basically. We have ignited Jesse Winker's season now. Like I yeah. can't wait for him to go on a tear because I have him on a lot of fancy teams. I can't wait for him because I drafted him before he got traded to stupid Seattle from Great America Ballpark. But it sucks that it really felt like he played up to like all the the shit with the fans and they kind of like motivated him to do better. And it gets started with a big two out single off of uh, Scherzer, and that was like the f- fourth or fifth inning. I remember we were running around the stadium at this yeah. point. That was like fourth or fifth inning on Friday. But just it was cool to see Max kind of like work on a new toy. He's always thrown this kind of like back. It's not a back foot color because the color doesn't move as much as a slider. It's a back thigh color as pitching ninja coins did this weekend. He threw him a lot. He got a really cool strikeout, JP Crawford with it. And then he also, after that Jesse Winker hit, something I alluded to before, he just sent Julio Rodriguez to school with a couple of change ups low in the zone. Just yeah. made him swing out of his shoes. But that winker Single did tie the game, and while Scherzer only to give up that one run, he was visibly upset with himself that he did do that. But good on him to work out some late rallies there and keep the game at least tied afterwards. Just the only problem was that Marco Gonzalez was cruising; and we couldn't touch
0: him. Yeah, just couldn't touch him. Like very uncompetitive at bats against a guy who, I guess, he's kind of everything that the Mets hate. Right, lefty. We don't hit lefties well. Soft tosser. Don't hit him well. And he throws a ton of strikes. So we can't use one of the things that goes to our advantage, which is walking. That's one of the things that the Mets... I mean, they're like one of the best teams in baseball at getting on base. So They get the highest on-base percentage in the whole league. But for a soft-tossing lefty who throws strikes, it's kind of like this weird perfect storm of like the Mets can't do it. But also, that's got to stop. They they have to just learn how to hit this. Because really, in all honesty, there's nothing that Marco Gonzalez does that you you go, oh yeah, I, I understand why we aren't hitting this guy. It's just... Like you said, it happens once a month. We just happen to be that team this time. He's just—he's
1: a solid pitcher. He's unspectacular. It's frustrating, but guys like Marco Gonzalez, like the lifeblood of, of this game of baseball that we've loved for a hundred years now. He just comes out, he throws innings, and and just he gets—he gets out of it somehow. But like this was such, ugh, like the Mets only gave up four hard hit balls his entire game. JD Davis had three on his own without a single base hit. Yeah, like it, it's just—it's so crazy that. These guys hit the ball well. Starling Marte had two. Alonso had two. One that we're going to talk about in a second because uh. it was one of the most egregious things I've ever seen. Lindor, Nimo, Escobar each had one. McNeil even had two. Tomas Nido chipped in with a hit. All these things happened and just somehow the balls were finding gloves and the Mets couldn't break through against Marco Gonzalez or Paul Seawold. So this is when all the action started because he got a big two-out strikeout of Starling Marte after Brandon Nimmo Double late in this game, which is another, again, run scoring opportunity.
0: Strong Martinez is a good hitter, but situations like that, I really like our better hitters pushed up to the top. Yeah, I mean, I guess you, oh yeah, you want the Lindor hitting two thing. I was like, who would we go there? But I forgot you just move everybody up. Yeah. I'm interested to see, I want to take a look at this as we're kind of talking here. What Starling Marte is doing against sliders this year, I know like it's kind of it's kind of hard because no one really hits sliders well, which is why everybody throws sliders now. But mm-hmm. Seawald slider guy, Diego Castillo slider guy, and we saw him kind of have horrendous at bats against both of them. Looking at Starling Marte against sliders this year, I'm just going to rattle off some baseball savant numbers. Surely they have meaning. Negative two run value, small sample, whatever. He's seen eighty. <laughs> surely they have meaning. Yeah, surely he has eighty. He's seen eighty nine sliders this year, which is fifteen percent of the time. He's hitting one fifteen against sliders, one ninety two slugging. 165 Woba, a whiff rate of 35%, K-rate 23%, hard hit rate of 20. It is like the worst pitch. He has he, That and cutters, he has no clue how to hit, it seems like. Granted, they're hard pitches to hit, for sure. And Paul Sewell has a very, very good slider. There's one of the better ones in this whole game. Yeah, so it kind of, I guess, makes sense as to why maybe he looks so foolish against these last two guys. But, oh, man, it really would have been nice if he came through one time in these spots. That being said, he did play well in every other at-bat it seemed like this no, series. He,
1: honestly, it's just funny. His only two bad at-bats this whole series were situations where you were trying to bring a man in for a big run, yeah. which sucks. That sucks, but it, it did happen. I, I was talking about T's playing great ball, though. Yeah,
0: no, he is playing good ball in the month of May. We also had like the unfortunate come-to-earth come to realization with Drew Smith. He gave up a run. A couple hits was getting squeezed, or I shouldn't say a couple hits, a couple walks because he was getting squeezed. Two walks start the inning. Yeah, and then he gave up the hit, obviously. That ended up giving them the 2-1 lead. It was just, it was, it was frustrating just because it's like, we know Drew Smith's good. He still is good, by the way. We don't, we haven't lost any faith in Drew Chains, but, oh, damn it. But I do want to
1: say that I was proud of our boy Drew after this performance because he gave up back-to-back walks and then a single to make it first and third, nobody out, and a man already in. And he just went apeshit after that and didn't allow the Mariners to get even one more base run to the rest of this inning. So even though he did blow the lead, his first earned run of the entire season at the time, it was cool that he kind of showed some fight and some real metal to keep the game where it was, just kind of showing us again where his top end is.
0: First and third, one out. Really, really good chance. With the run in. Yeah, with the run in. Really, really. Chance to break it open. Yeah, I was about to say, the game could have just been completely over there. Kept us in the game still, despite blowing it, but kept us in the game. And, I mean, let's let's fit, wrap this game up here. We have to talk about the Pete Alonzo non-home run, which is disgusting. Yeah. Disgusting. Rob Manfred should be thrown in jail for this. The fact that Pete yeah, Alonzo. Not
1: jail. He should be thrown to the East River.
0: Put, put him in Guantanamo Bay, whatever it is. Send them to Guam. I don't know. That feels like a place that could maybe be prison-like. I mean, like... Guam is... I think Guam is actually beautiful. Okay, maybe I'm thinking Guantanamo, Bay. Maybe. Maybe yeah, I think you mix them again. Maybe Guatemala. I forgot. Guatemala's rough with the cartel. Yeah, I think it's dangerous. Running, rough,
1: rough, <laughs> running, running, running roughshod down there. But
0: 103.4 ex below and 32-degree launch angle is a barrel, by all means. Mm-hmm. It is a barrel. And the ball was caught, what, 15 feet short of the wall? I mean, like that ball... At the warning track. That ball should be out at every stadium... Anywhere you hit it, center field, right center, if it's at Fenway Park with the crazy center field there, that should be a home run. If the Astros still had the hill in center field, it should be a home (laughs) run there. And it wasn't even close. What did they do to these fucking balls? We saw today, it was a nicer day, it was hotter, and it was sunny, and the ball was traveling more today. Maybe it's yeah. something where, because like the, the humidor and all this nonsense that they've decided to throw into the game, all of a sudden, once the arbitration and extra money came in for the players, all this stuff is starting to happen to limit offense, which we know is going to limit the money. Maybe when it's hotter, these balls dry out quicker, and they'll fly more? That was you know, Saris and Ken
1: Rosenthal's hypothesis from a... Um from an athletic article from about two weeks ago and you have seen that in some of the hotter cities already like San Diego has become a massive hitters park which is kind of hilarious based on how that much has turned in the last few years and also this game on Friday night was bizarre weather it was like the whole game was just like a very steady 60 degrees and wet just like kind of misty and humid and just thick air great situations to pitch in just bad situations for, for flight of balls and also I just I did a little quick savant query on a similar type of ball in play like this, between 103 and 104 mile an hour exit velocity and between 32 and 33 degrees launch angle in play at City Field since 2015. It happened 14 other times before Friday night. 12 of them were home runs and two of them were outs. That's crazy. So incredibly unlikely that a ball hit with those exact parameters wouldn't go out of City Field. Even though, again, the ball wasn't pulled, balls that are pulled, even with lower exit velocity, better chance of going out of the park. And it was to the deepest part of City Field. So sure, whatever, but... I stood up when this ball left the bat and was jumping up and down screaming and I let out a profanity-laced tirade when it was caught scared very much scared Ellen Adair who was sitting in our section really scared the crap out of her Ellen Adair from Homeland and she looked at me like I had eight heads. She was like, "That's a crazy person. I don't want to sit near him with any games ever again." Which is warranted because I probably said things about Rob Manfred that I wouldn't wish upon like international criminals. I think
0: I stood up and gave a gave one of these. I gave a fist pump <laughs> into the ground like, "Let's go!" And then it, no,
1: what? <laughs> But this is also the nature of playing a team like the Mariners, who just are addicted to one-run games. Every single one of these games could have been won or lost by bo- both teams. Yeah. Like, either, all of these games could have been a sweep for the Mets or Mariners, or Mariners 2-1, or the Mets 2-1. Any, every single option was in play until literally the eighth inning of every single game. Every single game hung in the balance. And just these tiny
0: things like that cost them, and that sucks. Yeah, and that goes back to, like, Game 2 even now, which was chaos. It was nuts. It was crazy. It was also a weird night. We had the rain delay. We had the spritzing going on all night. Another wet night because Seattle seemingly brought their weather with them when they came to New York, which, please, go away. Don't bring this weather anymore. It is beautiful today. You know what the coincidence is? Gorgeous. Seattle's leaving. They're getting the hell out of New York. So, please, you stop bringing this weather with you. But it was chaos. I was sitting with the seven line. Shout out to them for the tickets. Always a ton of fun. Got on TV again, by the way. So you know, superstar over here. Um, <laughs> it was it was a crazy game though, from start to finish. Like everything in this game, it, again, like you were talking about, everything was hanging in the balance. I wasn't able to really relax much in this one. No, I mean I don't know how you could have like from
1: the get go. It was just again, this was a chaos baseball game. I like that. The Mets have in the range of outcomes to
0: play these every once in a while because chaos baseball is fun. I just don't really that much enjoy like being a part of it. No, I I, I want easy wins. I want like maybe they won't do as well for episodes. Maybe we won't get as many listens, but I love an easy win. I love coasting and being like, wow, no stress. Easy. They won five nothing. How about that? There was never a chance that they could win this game. Like that's what I strive for. This game was not that we did get out early, though. We had a four nothing lead. All three games of the series, the Mets score the run in the first inning. All three. And that is happening,
1: of course, when Sari Marte is hot and Brandon Nimmo stays scorching hot. Did Brandon, no, Nimmo did get a hit. So now Nimmo's hit streak is 12 games. His on-base streak is 26 games. 26 or 27, yeah. He's just he's so fucking good. Freaky good, freaky good. And Francisco Lindor getting off the schneid had two RBIs in his first three at-bats on Saturday. So starting looked look good. Things felt good. And then even with the offense playing well early, Chris Bassett, once again, freaking fantastic, quickly becoming literally one of my favorite players in all of baseball five super clean innings and he got some trouble in the sixth that happened but didn't give up any extra base hits through five and two-thirds against a good team of the mariners eight strikeouts which is one of the higher rates i've seen from uh, bassett this year even especially not even completing six innings three walks five hits one earned again i have really just come to enjoy these bassett games because from a pure pitching perspective he does so many interesting cool things on the mound like he threw six different pitches in this game at least 10% of the time. Yeah,
0: that's what he does. That's,
1: um, that's unbelievable. Like, pe- the best pitches in baseball I have history have not been able to do things like that. He Five of them got whiffs, all except his changeup. And he got a 25% whiffs overall, 32% called in swing strikes. He was just so common and control. And there weren't even that many, like, one, two, three innings. Like, there were, there were always base runners here and there, but he just. I never felt very nervous that Bassett
0: was going to let anything happen. Extend Bassett, baby. Extend Bassett. Yeah. Keep him here for a little bit because he's a very, very good pitcher. He was also battling with working with Patrick Mazzica for the first time. he Patrick yeah. Mazzica caught him in spring, but for those of you who don't know, typically the pitcher decides what pitch is being thrown in a spring training bullpen. Fastball, curveball. He, he gives the signs with the glove when he's out there, you know, doing warmups in the bullpen. On the field, it's a little bit different, but they weren't using pitch comm, and the first inning of this game took 50 minutes, and I think it was two hours in, and we were in the fifth inning. It was a long game, a lot of stepping off, a lot of trying to figure out the signs, a lot of this and that, and despite working with a new catcher who he, Definitely wasn't comfortable with. They were, you know, talking in between every inning. He did a great job. He really, you know, nutted up to say that have a really bad terminology. But he nutted up, pitched really well. And then Lugo to come in when there was a little bit of trouble. Talk about nutting up, Mm -hmm. too. He came in and got some big outs for us when there were guys on base in the sixth. Also, shout to Buck. That's what you're supposed to do with bullpen. Huge moment in the game could have changed the outlook, and he went to one of the best relievers. That's the kind of stuff that we want to see, not trying to extend guys to get extra outs because we're trying to push forward to get more innings because of Monday.
1: True, but the irony is that even after getting, I don't know if it was the last out
0: of the sixth or the last
1: two, it was the, getting the last out of the sixth, he did come back out for the seventh, which I don't hate because Seth Lugo kind of has to be able to get four outs as one of the better relievers in his bullpen, so I'm not chastising Buck for this, but it's something that happened where suddenly J.P. Crawford and Eugenio Suarez got back-to-back singles, and then you have to take Lugo out of the game because a talented left-handed hitter and Jesse Winker's coming up, and this son of a gun just roped a home run to make a game that was suddenly set felt out of reach throughout to becoming tied in the blink of an eye at 4-4. Jesse Winker watched
0: that ball. He absolutely yeah, demolished he it, too. It. He demolished it. Do you see and Shreve shouting at him? No, Sh- I didn't Oh, know. Shreve was screaming at him because he, wa- he watched it. He admired it. And Chazen and Shreve was telling him, get the, get the fuck on. Whoa, run the fucking bases. He was so hot. And I don't even think that was like a, I don't like that you watched it. I think that was more so Chazen Shreve was hot that he just gave up a home run. And then like that's just like one of those things where it's like a little thing bothered you and you just fucking lose it. Like you snap. And I think that's what it was because, I mean, the Mets have watched some home runs. I mean, they got some guys on the yeah. team that will look at them. I didn't find anything wrong Lindor with did, that. Lindor did on Sunday. Yeah. And also. Pimp job. I mean, winker man, great villain. Yeah, waving goodbye after he hit the home run again. He he knows his brand. He's really good at it. Again, can't wait till he's in Queens in a couple years. But it's so easy to
1: impress Mets fans, though. He's like, he's just such an asshole. And then he just like, oh yeah, I love it. It's so much fun.
0: Mets fans like, oh, we like you now. Well, because he doesn't hate us. He just plays up to what we're 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 booing him. He's like, all right, fine. You want me to be the bad guy? I will be. I bet he did.
1: Kind of hate them at first, like that first time, like 2018 or 2019, when he wasn't even good he, and he like,
0: made a, a slow, lucky sliding catch. That was the whole reason all this well, even started. And the home run, too, for two uh, bad teams, the home run off of Diaz, too. That's what that's what he did. Yeah. But I think he said, even after that game, that he was getting so much shit from the fans that he was like, I'm gonna wave goodbye to them because we just won. He didn't, he never said anything about like, I don't like these guys. And I remember the next time they came, even the next year, he was signing baseballs for all the Mets fans and like, he was excited, he saw the signs, he loved them, like, he has fun. That's why I like him more than that rat, Paul Sewald.
1: He's also a Rangers fan. We saw him cheering the Ranger goals that were being broadcast in the Jumbotron during Friday night's game. We're recording this moments before Rangers Game 7. Buffalo guy. Excited to go watch that. Yeah, so it's kind of cool that. But now we've gone somehow 50 minutes of this episode without mentioning Patrick Luino and the legend that was born out of your... Um, I don't even know what to call it. Out of your, out of your decisions here, can't, you're, man,
0: can't even you, you named a kid, which is unbelievable. Yeah. I, you know, congratulations to me. Um, yeah. Whenever the baby comes, his name will be Patrick, uh, which is a real Italian Greek name right there, Patrick. No, yeah, it's good. That's a good Catholic boy. <laughs> yeah, it's, a good, it's a good name right there, Patrick Luino. Rolls off the tongue. Um, so, I wonder what union he's going to be in. I have no idea, <laughs> but... I was sitting with the seven line, and of course, everyone's having drinks. Everyone's feeling good. I'm sitting next to Zappa, if he's listening to this. was talking to him. Andres Munoz comes into the game for, if you guys don't know, we, we mentioned him in the last episode. Guy throws like 102 with a devastating slider. Gross. And I was going, yeah, this guy's unhittable. Great. We got Patrick Mizeka going up against Andres Munoz. I wonder who's going to win this one. This guy can't be touched. And he goes, well... Not from Mazika, clearly being tongue-in-cheek, like making a joke. He's like, he's going to hit a home run. And I immediately go, if Patrick Mazika hits a home run, I'll name my firstborn Patrick. He's like, tweet it. I put out the tweet, and as soon as I hit send, crack of the bat. And I go, ugh. Oh. <laughs> did he just hit a home run? <laughs> and everyone's freaking out. I was celebrating. Of course the video of the Seven Line made, that was like two different reactions, but it was great. Great content by all means. That was one of the best is that a TikTok? Was that a TikTok? Yeah, I think I think he did Instagram and Twitter and That was one of my favorite TikToks I've ever seen. Yeah, no, it was really, really good. Uh but my reaction after the celebration of oh my god was oh my god. That's on Twitter. <laughs> that is public. Yeah. I could I could have told the I could have told Zappa the guy sitting next to me. And maybe never seen him again, and no one would have known. I put it on Twitter, (laughs) and within five minutes, had like a thousand likes. Patrick Mazika retweeted it after the game, which I think is really funny. So if we ever get him on the uh, podcast, definitely have to bring that up at some point and let him know that he's the reason why my firstborn... First, I didn't even say son. Firstborn, so yeah. Firstborn. It's a, a pretty name for a girl. Patricia. Can I? You think I could slide with <laughs> Patricia for that one? I'll, I think. I think. I think the people let you slide with
1: with Patricia. And it just all, this also just adds to the folk legend of Patrick Mazzico, who was up last year and multiple walk off hits that didn't leave the infield. And now, after a game that's felt like the Mets were letting get away from them, after a game that got away from them on Friday, ahead of a pitching matchup where they were at a clear disadvantage on Sunday. He swooped in and saved the day against literally one of the scariest relievers in all
0: of baseball. So it's just it just adds to it, man. Like it's, I love this guy. He's insane. Just a great player to have. On the Dude, roster. and he's wearing number four. Wilmer Flores is old number. There's something with that number four that's like special. And he's a lefty. We kind of have, have kind of glossed over the fact that that's kind of a
1: really valuable platoon partner for a Major League Baseball team, if he can hit. Again, he didn't hit that well in AAA this year, but I could see a guy like Mazika who got a taste of the Major League Baseball juices to now be down AAA and kind of just longing for that opportunity again. If he can even hit a little bit, if he can have a six a, a league average OPS, which is about 670, he'll be an actually valuable asset as he fills in for James McKenna. So it's
0: kind of funny, too, because you talk about like going down to AAA he knows that the only way he's getting called up too on this team is if someone goes down with an injury. So it's almost like for him, try not to get hurt like, because I'm going to get, <laughs> if I'm hurt and one of them gets hurt, it's not going to be me. I can't get called up, but if I'm healthy, it's me. I'm the next guy up. Glad that he got called up. He, he had a hit in the th- game three today, too. Like, he swings the bat. Yeah. Okay. Gary on the broadcast goes, Is it disrespectful to say that his swing's real funny looking? Like, <laughs> and Keith's like, no, I don't think it's disrespectful. You're telling the truth. It is a little funny. Like, I don't understand how he hits because he changes his eye level as the pitch comes, which is insanely hard to do. He goes from like all the way up here to way down low. But he really, he caught all that one against Andres Munoz. And now my. My firstborn's name is Patrick Luino, and I have a great meme that I'll be able to use in five years, whenever I have a child, and I can tweet out a picture of the baby and go, meet Patrick? <laughs> like, You think you're going to have a child in five years? I have no. I'm 26. I have no idea. 30, 31? That seems fair.
1: I guess. We got,
0: you got a lot of maternity to do in the next five years. Oh, for sure. I'm not. I didn't <laughs> say
1: 26-year-old Mark Luino's doing this. <laughs> yeah, I come back from two bags of chips a day, the one.
0: 2027. 20, I don't know what the world's going to look like then.
1: Oh, God. Can't even talk about this, but...
0: After he hung one, too, and he hit it about 400 feet foul, to which my heart dropped. I was no, like he did it again. No way. (laughs) But luckily, we got him out. Uh, When Diaz was coming out for, you know, coming into the game, all the Mariners' bullpen guys came out and started watching the the festivities. I've never seen that before. They were like, I I got to see what this action's all about. Paul Seawald, that rat, he was the first one out there watching it. So I'm so confused what's going on with this guy.
1: Dude, relievers are a persecuted class, man. To, to to fellow relievers, especially guys in that Seattle organization, they probably hear folk tales about Edwin Diaz and his heroics through the years. The guy's a legend. He's one of the better relievers in baseball. That organization developed him. Like people want. He has like one of the best walkout songs, literally in the sport. Yeah. Like he is something to watch.
0: We had a uh, high school friends at the game last night. Shout out to Sanjay if he's listening to this, who had not been to a Mets game ever, and. I was like, dude, if Edwin Diaz gets in the game, get ready. Talk about an atmosphere; it's gonna be electric, and he did. So I hope Sanjay enjoyed it. I didn't see him after the game, but I mean, you can't you can't ask for anything better than those trumpets. No, nothing at all. And this now,
1: in a topsy turvy way, wrapped up the series. We talked about two losses followed by the one win. Just that's kind of a nice thing to keep Mets fans feeling semi optimistic because the Mets didn't really play poorly in the series. Some things went their way, some things didn't go their way, and this isn't really a series loss that we can say that we're gonna like the world the the sky is falling it's really just the fact that we did lose a series now we can't say it them as having lost a series yet this year yeah. that's the only real disappointing thing about this and we have a very big series coming up that we need to stay focused for
0: yeah, it's kind of like the college basketball thing. Like You don't want to be undefeated too long into the season. You, you no. got to get the loss out early because that way you can be focused on winning again and not worried about being perfect. The Mets, we lost a series. It's to a Mariners team that is better than their record it indicates, I think. I think they're a pretty good ball club. A lot of people expect them to be a playoff contender this year, and I'm sure they're going to improve as the season goes on. It just stinks because, again, we could have swept this series. We could have gotten swept this series. Every game was decided by one run, and the Mets were just on the wrong side of it for the first time all year, which that's going to happen. Yeah, bounce of the ball, crack of the bat—like this thing's happened. This is baseball, season. That's it.
1: And again, I want to reiterate that the Mets have a very big series that is starting later today on Monday against oh, you have four, say four four games, games right? Against the St. Louis Cardinals. First two games of the series are gonna have Trevor Williams and Taiwan Walker, so it's gonna be an all hands on deck type of series against a team that we literally.
0: Had a fight with three weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We did have the fight. How did I forget about yes. that? Oh, this is gonna be fun. I don't know. This is gonna, be, gonna be really fun. This is gonna be fun. All right. So pitching matchups. Give it to us real quick. You said Trevor Williams, Taiwan Walker. Who are they going up against? Trevor Williams against Miles Mikolas. Fuck. So Mikolas
1: really got a hold of us last time. I really hope that we saw something and are able to get to him this time. Then Taiwan Walker against old friend Stephen Matz, making his return to City Field. Very very interested to see how Stephen is received by the Queen's faithful. Then Booze. Wednesday, game I'm game I'm going to, Max Scherzer versus Jordan Hicks. Should be really, really, really cool. We got to Jordan Hicks last time. Max Scherzer crushed the Cardinals last time. I like that. And then Thursday, ESPN, day game, 1 o'clock, Chris Bassett versus Dakota Hudson. It's a, it's a nationally televised game, so you can expect the bouncy balls to be back. That's true, actually. That's pretty cool against Dakota Hudson, too. I like that. But this is good. Actually, isn't Dakota Hudson a ground ball? He is the same, ground yeah, ball he's a sinker. Yeah, he's a ground ball guy. Shit. But... I'm not even going to say that the Cardinals have pitching advantages in the series because they're not really throwing that that interesting of pitchers. Luckily, in four games, we're missing Adam Wainwright. Thank the fucking heavens that we're not facing Adam Wainwright because he would just demolish Not the once Mets this the year. Card.
0: Not once this year. Oh, yeah. oh,
1: God. But that also means that last time, from the end of last year, when he shut the Mets down for eight innings, that's going to be the last time he faced them in his career. That's fine. Which that makes me upset. I wish he was I, I wish he was getting a start just so we can send him out against the Mets at a bad note because he's had their number forever. But I... It's going to be very important for the Mets to bounce back off this first series loss and get a hold of the Cardinals in the series, especially when they're going to be at a significant disadvantage on Monday's game with Trevor Williams and a bullpen game going against Miles Mikolas, who... He's probably he's the best pitcher the Cardinals are throwing the series. I can say that relatively. Yeah, I
0: he, I think he would have to be, and he's having a pretty good year. So I mean, we've seen him have success before, the Lizard King, because he ate a actual live lizard, which nobody knows about. I've told many people no. like in baseball, and they had absolutely no clue. Um, absolutely wild, dude. Hopefully, we smack him around. Uh, would love to just. I hate, the Cardinals are so annoying, especially with the fight and everything. Keep an eye out. I don't think we're done there. I think there might be a little bit of something going on. I wouldn't be surprised if the first pitch to Brandon Nimmo you know, comes a little close in, in Game 1.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. But actually, probably not with Mikolas, because he's a guy they're probably counting on for length in this series. I could see them getting getting at with uh, someone later in the series, possibly reliever late in the game. But the Cardinals are playing on Sunday Night Baseball. When you're listening to this, the Cardinals already played on Sunday Night Baseball. You guys know how that game ended, but we, we were going to save that one. So they are going to have to travel after a late game, which I guess that's a, a tiny little bit of an advantage. Are they
0: in St. Louis? In, in St. Okay, Louis, Okay, so yes, it's not, not it's San not San a Francisco. red eye from San Francisco to New York. That would have been huge. It, it's probably going to be a red eye from St. Louis to New York. I mean, yeah, it still is, but a, a red eye from yeah, San Francisco. it's going to be red Fr- S- eye no matter oh.
1: what. Yeah, it's just a couple, three hours less of travel, of course, of course, but... That's a, that's something. Just looking for an advantage, and I have a new cardinal to watch the series. A guy who was not on the team the last time we played them, but who has become a staple of their lineup since Juan Yepes. Oh yeah, long time underrated prospect. One of those guys who just doesn't really look like. Of All Star Baseball Hitter, he's not really the tallest. He's not really the strongest. He's not a very good defender. He's just not one of those like you know got a baseball body kind of guys. And he's never really had a home, especially because he was a third baseman, first baseman coming up in the system. And of course, the Carls have Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arnado there. But as the Cardinals have been seeking offense, they started Corey Dickerson like 30 games in the first four weeks, of se- five weeks of the season, which is just malpractice. Yepes has come up. He's DH. He's been playing a lot of left field for them. And he's 13 for thir- first 37 in the pros with two home runs. Pretty good. The guy can really swing it. He is a true hitter. He's a little bit older of a prospect. So is n- ha- not going to be as many growing pains, I suspect, with his transition here. And he's a guy who's already up to the cleanup spot in
0: this Cardinals lineup consistently. Yeah, he's a guy that you told me about last year. who was on your radar. Looked into him. Yeah. Watched him play. Go, oh, yeah, this guy's a hitter. He's a really, really mm-hmm. talented uh, hitter at the plate. And also, what Ryan Helsley, right? He- he's still on the roster. He's not hurt. Yeah, we can talk about Ren Helsley. Ren Helsley throws like 102 miles an hour and is running a basically a 50% K rate so far this season. Basically, the only guy giving Edwin Diaz right now like the run for the money is like the best reliever in baseball right now, like this season statistically.
1: Yes, statistically. I mean, Josh Hader, we can't forget of about course, Josh Hader. Yeah. Josh Hader's hands down the best reliever in baseball. But Helsley is kind of disgusting. The Cardinals just also find a reliever basically every year, no more, no less. And it's not usually guys who always have, like, the most staying power. Guy goes has to have some staying power. Alex Reyes came on hot last year, then he fell apart, and now he's on
0: the IL. Elizabeth, New Jersey, played full-count baseball uh, a year older than I was. But I got, to, I got to catch a bullpen next to him throwing one, and I was terrified. I was scared. That, yeah, it, that does sound scary. But the Cardinals are a talented team who play fundamental baseball and do
1: not make many mistakes. Let's play better than them, and let's win this series 3-1 and put this team out of its misery and open up a nice, sizable lead over them. For what could be a team that we're competing with, depending on how the rest of the season goes, for either seething or for a card spot. Very important to win these games against the Cardinals team. Again, we are directly competing against for the National League playoffs. Yeah, spots. with all
0: these wild card spots now, uh, it, these games, even though they aren't in division, they are just as important. Because, you, like you said, you are literally competing with them for spots right now. And there's a lot more spots than there have been in the past. Just just swing the bats. The Mets have been swinging the bats better. It's, again, it seems like with the warmer weather these balls move a little bit more, and it seems like that has been pretty you know conducive to how the Mets have been playing. Just just stay hot, stay hot, let's play smart, let's play good, keep pitching well. And hopefully, game by game, we get some wins out here against St. Louis. But I think that's going to be a perfect way for us to wrap up episode number 92 of the Mets Up Podcast. If you guys are not yet following us on our social media at Mets Up, you'll be able to find us as well as on the YouTube channel, Mets Up Podcast. Follow James on Twitter at Jeter Had no Range. Follow me at Giraffe Neck Mark. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, follow, subscribe, rating, review, whatever you got to do. Make sure you don't miss the next episode because it's going to be a banger after this Cardinal series. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll see you next time. Peace out. Peace out, guys.